Politics aside, should inmates work outside prison walls? That and more coming up next. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of WOSU 820's All Sides with Ann Fisher. Emily Reamer, reporter, ABC6 and Fox 28. Sandy Tice, Democratic strategist. And Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. Ohio has a new public safety director. The controversy over the canceled sting at the governor's mansion has died down for now. But the merits of using inmates as workers outside prison walls remains under scrutiny. Lawmakers are looking at a bill that would end the program at the governor's mansion. That program, of course, has been criticized for lax oversight, allowing inmates to access sharp tools and alcohol, also serving as a contraband transfer station. And the governor has suspended that program but still supports it. Emily Reamer, a lawmaker is looking at scrapping the whole inmate work release program or just this one. I get the sense that it's a very narrowly focused thing that they're trying to do here. I don't think that they're going after the entire work release program. I think that this is really just about the mansion and things that sort of seem to defy common sense the more you heard about it. There's there's drinking, there's access to alcohol. I mean, how are they getting into these tools? Why are they not monitored more quickly? So the governor has suspended the program for now. I think he's waiting for these recommendations to come back. And his office admits that if they recommend that we should scrap this, it's something that he will consider doing. So I don't think this is about the entire program. I think it's about workers at the mansion. Well, this is an easy program to demagogue, obviously, and it's an election year, so that's a deadly combination. But what I like about it is the governor's asked Reggie Wilkinson to evaluate the program. He's a prison, former prison director who served under Democrats and Republicans. His credentials are impeccable. His honesty is unquestioned. And I think whatever Reggie tells us we need to do, we ought to adopt. Well, Director Wilkinson was a good pick, <coughs> no doubt about that. But we can't forget that Governor Strickland literally stripped away the protections from this inmate program. He literally forbid Department of Rehabilitation and corrections from having photos of the inmates on hand so that they escaped it could be given to the Bexley police immediately. That had always been the case. They didn't have to wear uniforms that said inmate, so they, you wouldn't know they were escaped. Access to chainsaws and knives and alcohol, that's a deadly combination. And Governor Strickland said it was one of his proudest moments as governor when he vetoed the provision last year that would have fixed this whole problem. Poor judgment by Governor I Strickland. I think one of the problems is, is that the, the program is co- or, uh, run by uh, the Department of Administrative Services and the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. And that just defies logic. I don't understand that. That that way you're passing the buck back and forth. Who has ultimate responsibility? Uh, nobody. That's a good point. Sandy, I'll let you respond, and then we'll get to the, in, the bigger well, picture. This is why it's easy to de demagogue. The guys with the knives were the cooks, and the guys with the chainsaws the were the gardeners. The the cooks. Yeah. And then nobody was checking to see if the knives didn't make it back to the prison, because no one had to sign out knives. They're all prisoners that are not allowed so let's, let's, look at, let's look at prison inmate work as a whole. I mean, should these work release programs exist? Because there is always going to be a risk if you let a prisoner leave the prison the walls and the fences and they everything should else. Exist. This pro program has been around for 60 years, 60 years. The inmates used to actually live in the residence when Mike DeSalle was the governor. It saves the state money instead of the taxpayers paying for somebody to cut the grass and to cook the meals. The prisoners are doing it. And if we don't believe in rehabilitation, let's change the name to the Department of Vengeance. Well, I said that for a long time. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with name. inmate programs. It's the safety and the safeguards that were in there until Strickland, who, remember, former prison psychologist, 
just says, you know what, I'm going to remove these safeguards because it's going to hurt the feelings of the guys working at do the these, house. Too bad. How about the neighbors who were at risk from this? Do these programs really rehabilitate prisoners? Well, I think it's probably a nice feather in your cap if you say you worked in the governor's mansion. I, you know, let's face it, it's, it's always a, anything they can get. The, you talk about the bottom rung of people when they're looking for a job, particularly in this economic climate. It doesn't get any worse than saying, I'm a felon. And most people ask now, So, uh, except unless you're a sex offender, and then that's the next well, rung down. If there's the proper safeguards, if someone wants to be a chef, someone got chef training at the governor's mansion, that's a reasonable thing. It's all about what the safeguards are. Yeah. Um, we did a story, I look back, it's been five years now, we did a story on the inmate butcher center at one of the prisons. I mean, they're using meat cleavers and everything else. I mean, they're within the prison walls, but... I mean, so, I mean, you, not, I mean, you can probably trust some inmates with a meat cleaver. Yes. Well, and I think the governor has kind of said that too, hasn't he? He said, you know, I have always hoped that, that I will not be disappointed, but inevitably I will be disappointed. So I think that he's kind of looking at this as, I, you know, I hoped for the best. Perhaps I didn't get the best, but I don't think it means that he wants to shut it down entirely, though he will listen to whatever recommendations are made. But it was particularly embarrassing after this was in the news for two weeks, then to allow inmates to have access to alcohol and find a guy with a .27 alcohol content, but even after this had been that in the guy news. Was just but the governor claims that he was trying to, it was a deliberate act to either hurt the program or himself or both. Babble. I mean, the yeah. guy had access to alcohol and shouldn't have it, and I'm glad the governor is using his psychologist mm -hmm. skills, but I think the people in Bexley would have used his common sense you know, skills. One point about Reggie Wilkinson, he does believe that the prisons have been way too stripped down in terms of what it, what inmates have access to in terms of rehabilitation, in terms of recreation, and that kind of thing. So I'm going to be interested to see what he has to say. Okay, let's get to our next topic. In the 2010 campaign, it may look like John Kasich and Ted Strickland are going after each other on the airwaves, but look closely. For eight years, John Kasich was a managing director for Lehman Brothers one of the Wall Street banks responsible for the crash that hurt Ohio's economy. Lehman Brothers hid toxic loans from regulators and gave out more than $16 billion in bonuses while Kasich was a managing director. Then Lehman Brothers collapsed. But Kasich refuses to reveal how big all his bonuses were or how much he was paid. Ask John Kasich to explain how he got rich on Wall Street. Seen Strickland's ads? The ones attacking Kasich? Strickland's worried. Or the governor doesn't have anything good to say about himself. Well, he's lost us 400,000 jobs on his watch, messed up the budget. I read that his aides lied to investigators. It's a mess. Strickland had to attack, because he sure didn't get the jobs done. If you read the fine print at the end of those ads, you see they were paid for by others, the first by an affiliate of the Democratic Governors Association and the second one by the Republican Governors Association. And Fisher, why is this, neg why is this campaign so negative so early? Yeah, because ultimately it doesn't matter who's putting them on the air. Uh, someone's telling them that it needs to be done. Uh, first of all, can I just say that didn't get the jobs done is driving me up a wall. Uh, but beyond that, That's why? the next ad. Grammat because, it's not grammatically correct. Because some, some number crunchers telling them that they have to. That's, that's the way the uh, polls are coming, coming out. And they're too close for comfort, obviously, for Governor Strickland. And, and being only, what, the last one was six percentage points up or something like that is not in good stead for a sitting governor. Likewise, Kasich probably is in trouble, too. He's been below... Uh, Kasich, or I mean Strickland, um, 
pretty much except for a few spotty uh, examples uh, since the campaign started. So he needs to move ahead. We're getting close to the uh, the kickoff time of uh, Labor Day, and uh, it doesn't look good for either person. That's what it, you know. I guess the question is: I understand why Strickland's uh, probably doing it because he's, and I understand why because he's looking bad because of all of these uh, scandals. I don't know why Kasich's attacking, though, uh, because uh, Strickland started it or because he's also in trouble. He, he see, that campaign seems to be rudderless to me. Um, most of the voters don't know who John Kasich is outside of central still. Ohio still. And so the governor's favorabilities are going up. The, the gap is, is widening between Strickland and Kasich. And the Kasich campaign seems to me to be totally floundering. And this ad is not going to help. The key fact is what you said is most people don't know John Kasich. That's true. And Governor Strickland is doing poorly in the polls when everybody knows who he is. And in a year where people are mad at incumbents who overpromised, the poster child for overpromising incumbents was Ted Strickland. He will be an ex-governor this time next but year. But is putting a, an attack ad against Strickland the best way to let Central Ohio and the rest of the state get to know Kasich? Yeah. That's the question, and that's what I haven't seen a lot of. But then again, I, and I guess I kind of agree with you, because I feel that we haven't really heard from Kasich at all. That's my sense. I was just talking to someone about this actually in the newsroom, just someone in the sales department who said, well, I said, what do you know about Kasich? Because he's from Wall Street. I said, well, where'd you hear that? And they said, well, there was an ad on TV. There, I feel like the Kasich team is letting Strickland define them. And, then and they is, need he, to come out strongly. I mean, they came out with this ad, you know, you see yeah, at the it's diner, but it's, anything about no, him. it's not. And that's, you're absolutely right. That's what they need to do. Otherwise, Strickland will define him all the way to Election Day. And, and that's what he's doing. And what's really strange is Kasich won't answer questions. His only policy initiative so far is this ridiculous, let's kill the income tax and take away more than 40% of the state money. He's, he's which backed, backed off of that. Right. Which that's what he said. What he said is there's lots of states that fund things without having a big income tax, which is one of the reasons why businesses don't come here, because of the Why oppressive tax Why doesn't he tell climate. us how he's going to pay I for it I think he will. Then. This is a long election. Well, he's, I think he, he, he will. better do it real he's soon. He's going to spell out his plan. Remember, this is the governor who promised that he would be a failed governor if he didn't fix school funding. He hasn't. Ted Strickland's own words will come to haunt him in but this election. Mark, I've asked this question since February. Is it getting late, too late for John Kasich to introduce himself to Ohio voters outside Central Ohio? We're after Memorial Day now. Well, now we, we get summertime. No one's paying this attention. Election and yeah. our viewers are following this election pretty closely. The average voter starts tuning in, tunes in after, as Ann said, after Labor Day. Typically, okay. if we're having this discussion in September, right. there'll be a problem. But is there a danger? What Emily said that Strickland's out there defining who he is rather than him defining himself. There's always a danger that someone can be defined. My sense is that this will not be a, a long-term problem. What about this bill? It was obviously a, a partisan bill that the House approved requiring candidates to disclose their tax returns, obviously aimed at John Kasich um, to disclose his tax returns, which he has done partially, but not to the, you know, not to the extent that others want him to. Should politicians have to disclose their tax returns? Absolutely. It's not only good politics, it's good public policy. Ted Strickland has shown us 10 years of his tax returns. John Kasich showed reporters part of one year that he selected. If he's going to trumpet his business experience and his time with Lehman Brothers, tell us what you made, tell us what you did. What we know is he's bragging about taking Google public and the Dayton Daily News just did a story that said that Lehman Brothers was a very, very minor player in that. So he's being contradicted by the press well, when they... Strickland did the same thing with his medical records. He said, I'm the healthiest guy out there, and he, but I'm going to let you see what my cardiologist it, said. When other people said, let's show us the whole medical thing, they said, no, we've shown you the one. 
both sides are being criticized for not giving full disclosure. And he said he'd show his medical records if Kasich would show his taxes. <laughs> I'll show you yours. Mine, if you show me yours. <laughs> the fact that the legislature has to pass a law yeah. tells us that the law does not require it. And when the law requires it, everyone will do it. I think that by Kasich not releasing it and by the governor not releasing his records, for health records, and, and uh, uh, John Kasich not releasing his uh, financial records and his uh, tax returns, says more screams more than showing him and laying him out for everybody and their brother Yeah, what's to see. he hiding? Okay, the governor or Mr. Oh, Casey? Either. Casey. <laughs> Whenever somebody won't release something. All right. Our next topic, Ohio lawmakers were busy this week trying to wrap up business before the summer recess. One thing they, or at least the Senate, did not act on was a foreclosure bill. It's a compromise bill that stops, that stops short of a moratorium on foreclosures, but it includes protections for renters in foreclosed buildings, it also calls for the registration of loan servicers, but it, had, it has been shelved at least until the fall. Sandy Tice, why should state government get involved in this foreclosure price crisis? Well, I think just because it's such a horrible problem for Ohio. We, lead, we are one of the leading states with foreclosures. Um, a lot of big cities, lots of people who are struggling to stay in their homes. And it would be a nice thing to do and would have long-term economic consequences if we could help people get through this difficult time. Why didn't this scaled-down bill pass? It, there was no more. The moratorium, I, there was certainly some serious opposition to that, where you couldn't foreclose for a period of six months. But this was relatively minor adjustments. The banking industry doesn't like any adjustments to what it does. And if there, if you know, if, if we were at some kind of peak desperation period of the foreclosure crisis, which we're not anymore, it's starting to get better in a way, uh, there would be more, uh, more fodder to throw at them. But, uh, you know, if you'd have done this two, two years ago, maybe, but... Well, I think the other issue is is how you use your resources as well. I mean, I think um, I might disagree that it's it's getting better because we set another record year in Ohio, and it's gone up every year for the last 14. So I guess what I'm thinking is I wasn't thinking so much legislation, but how, what, how do we make the best use of what we have, you know? And we know that housing counseling works, 60% of the folks who use them will stay in their homes, and yet we cut their funding every single time. So I guess, you know, when I was looking at this legislation, I mean, I don't know what, what they've done, quite frankly, this spring, because it seems to me they haven't done much except for name a state amphibian. So <laughs> to me, I'm thinking as we come back next fall, let's focus on what we have and where we can use it best, especially to address this foreclosure issue. The Republicans are reluctant, they say, Bill Harris said, to get it, to have government get involved. And what is a private matter. You're picking winners and losers if the government gets involved. Whenever the government gets involved, you're taking money from one person and giving to another person, and that's always problematic. Let's not forget the foreclosure crisis is tied to the jobs problem in the state. Since Ted Strickland and Lee Fisher have been in charge, more than 400,000 jobs have been left uh, have left the state. When people lose their job, they're not able to pay their mortgage, and they go into foreclosure. You can't overlook the failed tenure of Strickland and Fisher when you look at the foreclosure problem. But was this the banking industry? showing its muscle here. I mean, they've lost on a couple other things every recently. Every industry goes in and tries to get the best deal they can from right. the legislature. That right. happens every single time. Right. But the larger question is, two private people enter into a contract, a homeowner and a bank, and one person doesn't uphold their end, should the government come in and pick a winner? Well, here's but another equation, though. What about the renters mm -hmm. that are living in the properties that the owner doesn't pay on and goes, is, goes into foreclosure over? They get kicked out. Right now, there's nothing in the law that protects them, and that was another aspect. I'm not sure it was in that bill anymore. It might have been rolled in or it might have been rolled out for all, at this point, but that was another uh, piece of legislation that was pending at some point, and they just pretty much dissed that. So there, there are innocent parties in, in, the, in these, these uh, equations. 
Okay. Our next topic, the Ohio Supreme Court says police officers don't need radar to cite you for speeding. While radar or laser devices are certainly helpful, the high court this week ruled that officers can estimate your speed to cite you. The officers have to be experienced, trained, and certified in speed estimation. Mark Weaver, you've served as a prosecutor and as a magistrate. Now, as a magistrate, is it harder to judge a case if it's based solely on estimation? Sure it is. But Ohio law for decades has said if there's some reliable scientific or calibrated way of bringing evidence in, it'll be acceptable. Now, whether you find it to be worth enough to find someone guilty or not, that's a different question. In this question, the officer tried radar, but the radar was thrown out because he wasn't certified. But he then used the, I'm driving this fast, looking at my speedometer, and the other fellow's driving that fast. And at the academy, they teach him to pick landmarks and figure out what the speed is. You won't get it to within a mile or two, but you'll get it over the limit. And if I were the one here in that case, if you made the case that way, I would probably find that they could estimate. Yeah, if the officer was driving, that's a whole different thing, because we've all been driving when somebody whizzes by, and you're like, why don't they ever catch <laughs> those people? You know what he's doing. <laughs> you know, you look down, you're doing 16. <laughs> <years, laughs> right? And no yeah. one's going to mow them over. still a minor misdemeanor, whether you're five over that's more. Well, if he's just standing still or sitting in his car and watches the guy, you know, someone fly by, that's different. I don't see how you can estimate something like that. So. This was not a standing still right. case. This was a tracking. And, and that would okay. be a factor. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, this is, I mean, it's also easier if the person's doing 20 miles. This person was doing, I think, 79 originally. Um, they say it's easier to go if you, for 20 miles over the speed limit than, not that everyone ever gets a ticket for doing 66 and a 65, but. That's not going to work. I estimated you were doing 67 and, nor and 65. Should. And nor should, nor should officers go out and try to do it just by their eyesight. In this case, there was radar and that got thrown out. But we all know that when you do something for long enough and you've been trained, you can look at it and estimate what it is. A butcher can put up some meat on a scale and very quickly, you know, before I look at the scale, I bet you that's going to be a pound of beef. And a police officer does this all day long and sees someone speed by and they got their radar gun and you get a sense of what it is. Well, and I think the Highway Patrol has said they're going to keep using your radar until they figure out how this is all going to shake out because, and I don't know, you, you probably know better than I do, but if someone came to court to fight this, to say, well, his math is wrong, you know, I, he just, you know, his calculator's off and I was going this. I mean, it just seems to me that radar versus guessing. Radar's better. <laughs> oh, I think the control is saying they're always going to keep right. radar. They're yeah. not, it's not they a temporary should. thing. It's, uh, it's forever. Now, I've heard it compared the estimating speed to sobriety tests, to judging whether a person is tailgating. Is that, is that a fair comparison? Well, the tailgating statute is it, it's a, it's subjective. It's just supposed to maintain uh, an assured, clear distance between you and the car in front of you. That is, can you stop in time if they stop? Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be someone's guess. Field sobriety tests have been scientifically shown that if you fail them, you're more likely than not to be drunk. But you need more than the field sobriety test to be convicted. You typically need either, either a breath test or uh, some other evidence that you've been drinking. A blood test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anybody else find it ironic that we're installing more and more red light cameras? and speed detection cameras and devices, but yet we're allowing police officers to <laughs> estimate speed <laughs> personally. That's a good point. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some cities are getting rid of it. He got rid of it real fast. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. All right, let's get to our last topic. Can judges have friends? That's Facebook friends, that is. Uh, this has all come to a head because interim Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice Eric Brown has taken some heat because he has a Facebook page and he has 3,000 
924 Facebook friends, but there are questions about possible conflicts of interest if one of those Facebook friends ends up before the Supreme Court. Mark Weaver, our magistrate, should judges have Facebook friends? Well, we should start the discussion by saying that the, the panel that does judicial ethics in Florida has put out an advisory opinion saying that they should not in Florida. Ohio has not adopted that, but you can see why the Florida panel said that. If I'm a lawyer in front of such and such judge and I say to my client, look at my Facebook page, see who I'm friends with? That'll tell you whether or not I'm going to get a good deal with this judge. Somebody, a lawyer did that, I think would be acting unethically. Whether a judge is acting unethically is a different question. But we do expect judges to try to be a little careful about appearances of things. Right, and appearances, and I think that a uh, Facebook page is a social media. Social, the key word being social. Are judges not social? I think that we have to figure out a set of ethic, ru ethical rules that apply to things like Facebook. I don't think it's realistic to think that judges shouldn't have a Facebook page, but I think just as they have to operate in the, the, the rest of the world socially and do it with good ethics, True. they should be able to do a Facebook page and operate one, whether it's a fan page or whatever it is, with good ethics. It just, it's as simple as that. I, I think that banning them from it uh, is is uh, not a, uh, not logical in this day and age with so, the way social media is. Working. I wouldn't support a ban. Uh, judicial training because they do have to go back judicial to training. training explaining, absolutely. in fact, I'll be doing some training in North Carolina this summer for judges. Explain the technology to them and give them best practices so that uh, lay people will not infer that there's some improper right. relationship because someone is connected through Facebook. I mean, I used to have the rule that I would not be Facebook friends with anyone I had not had at least one conversation with. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, but I that's gone out the window. <laughs> you, you realize that, that that is an older generation mentality. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm the saying. The youngest yeah. Facebook users yeah. is they will Facebook friend anybody, mm -hmm. and the goal is to get big numbers. Yeah. But I guess the other part of it, too, as I was thinking about this, is you, know, you think of what you do on Facebook. I mean, you poke each other and send each other cows and... Whatever that game I is. Shouldn't you, I mean, and shouldn't, I, hear about you. <laughs> I won't send any of you cats here. But shouldn't, I mean, the Ohio Supreme Court justice, I mean, just the sound of it is sort of like this reverence, and shouldn't that person be held to a higher standard, perhaps? But he um, doesn't, doesn't make do him? that. He doesn't send people cows and asks for Well, he hasn't you know sent me one, but, <laughs> I, you know. But, I, but that's, that's the sort of thing I think Mark's talking about, that, you know, that's stupid. That's an appearance of stupidity. Forget impropriety. Yeah. I mean, why would a judge be doing something like that? Like that, anyways. It's, it's you know, but but beyond that, I mean, that's not what he's doing. He's got a Facebook page, and people go onto it, and every once in a while, he tells you what he's doing. But I don't think he gives anybody away any secrets. How about the other side that? Maybe it's some the younger folks probably find it refreshing that a Supreme Court justice right. would have a Facebook page and could help inform of what the court's doing as long as it's done in a fair. There's rather there, way. this is rather inside, but you can be you can have a Facebook fan page or a Facebook friend page, and more judges are now picking the fan page option because it allows people to follow what you're doing, it's which open. Anne says, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's different than the friend option. And they can't and deny you access that. to a fan page. Anybody can join a fan page. Everybody he probably in the club. doesn't know ninety percent of those. 3,000 friends he has either. Almost 4,000. Which is really <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. um, what about other professions? I mean, you mentioned lawyers. I mean, journalists, we're always cautioned to be careful on our Facebook pages. Although journalists are follow or make becoming fans of politicians. I've noticed this, yeah. not because they're fans, but because they want to get the feed of what yeah. the politicians yeah. Yeah, are doing. I don't care what they think about the latest Indians game, but beyond that, I mean, that's about as interesting as it gets sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I always make sure if I friend a, a, a Republican politician that I... Sure. I friend their competitor and likewise things. It is just to gather information. Mm -hmm. Doctors, I mean, 
this whole social media is messing everything up. It really is, and you're right. We need some rules. You, you're right. You we know, it just is. How do you use it? And if you're using it in an unethical way, then that's bad. Just don't send me a cow. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I don't think Judge Brown is doing Mafia Wars, or Justice Brown is doing Mafia Wars either, or any of that good right. stuff. All right, let's get to our final parting shots, predictions, whatever for the weeks ahead. Uh, off the record section, Mark Weaver, you're up first. I think uh, political leaders in America could learn a lot from the umpire and the pitcher this week. The umpire who made a mistake and immediately owned up to it, and a pitcher who had legitimate grievance but had the grace to let it pass. If both sides of the aisle took a little lesson from that, we'd be on the road to a better place. This was the not-so-perfect game, yes. at least not perfect umpiring. Indeed. Right. Sandy. Uh, well, Emily mentioned that the General Assembly didn't do a lot this year. Well, one of the things that the Senate passed that the House did not is a bill that bans animal-human hybrids, which is apparently a big problem for some people. So because this ban is not going to take hold, I think the racetracks in Ohio this summer are going to see an economic rebound when half-man, half-horses start <laughs> racing in all the tracks, and, and it will uh, be an economic uh, jump start for Ohio. Absolutely. Put that on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Emily. Uh, I am keeping my eyes on this Casino Control Commission. It looks like the governor will sign the legislation next week that will create it. I am very, very interested to see who gets on it because I'm sure that people have been asking and are looking to get in that spot, and I think we all need to be keeping an eye on uh, what's going to happen here in the next six months with this industry. All right. And I spent a beautiful sunny morning down at the uh, in downtown at the Columbus Arts Festival, uh, but pop-up thunderstorms are expected throughout the weekend. I, I, I suspect about 50% of those will dump downtown, and the other 50% out at the memorial. <laughs> <near Field. laughs> and, and I know that's an easy one. <laughs> As they say, the tradition continues. <laughs> I have to get some advice from Sandy and from Mark, because I am going back on my shant Twitter pledge. Well, I still don't really get it. I am on Twitter now, so you can continue the conversation at our website, WOSU.org, or you can follow me on Twitter at mthompsonwosu. Is it at how does it work? At MTS. Twitter.com forward slash MTS. Welcome to the 90s. Check right? out the website. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is doomed. I'm on it. That's my prediction. All of that at our website, WOSU.org. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.